0: Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's the show that never expected much from the Tories, but holy crap. On today's pod, we're looking ahead to a tricky test on the South Coast and asking too, what the hell has happened to Chelsea? We'll also be giving our take on the tired trope that's doing the rounds right now, that City is supposedly boring and soulless. Joining me to discuss all this are two guys who are always entertaining and have an abundance of soul, it's Asan and Ali. Hi Aysad, you well? I'm excellent, mate. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm very good. Looking forward to the weekend. Me too. Me too. I love a Friday. I've been saying that all morning. I do love a Friday. (laughs) (laughs) As long as it's followed by, you know, a city victory on Saturday, then all is well. Uh, Yeah.
1: Ali, are you well? Yeah, okay, thanks. I uh, recently did a a COVID test and it came back negative. So, of course, I'm writing off to the company to get another one. I'll keep doing that until I get a positive one. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Love it. (laughs) Let's
0: um, dive straight into this because something we discussed on the Wednesday debate show was uh, me, Chris and Howard. Um, The kind of recent trope that's kind of emerged recently that city are boring, soulless, uh, that our success is inevitable, uh, that we're state-owned. It's all the usual stuff but it's really coming kind of to a peak right now I feel anyway. um, There's been some real horrendous articles written recently, one from Ken Early in particular in the Irish Times, uh, which was just a, nothing more than a hate piece. I'm um, also on, on Twitter as well. I'm seeing kind of Liverpool writers saying, you know, how how the hell can we keep up with this, this City team? It's a cheat code, etc. Uh, I'll start with you, son. What have you made of it all? Um, not very much, to be honest. I don't think it's particularly
2: credible. Um, I mean, look... I think that there's clearly a, a desire to diminish City's success um, by United and Liverpool writers. I think that as football supporters, it's normal to talk shit about your rivals. Yeah, that's cool. I don't mind. Like even you know, like what we would consider to be supporter platforms. That's our job really is to be tribal. Uh, But the job of a newspaper writer is to report, yeah, and try and be objective in their reporting. And I think that it's become abundantly clear that there is a, and I think this, it's important to also separate out. I think that there is a generation of football writers uh, in Britain who are closely affiliated to United and Liverpool. And those football writers in particular are struggling to understand that not just that City are successful, but they're here to stay. Like it's not going to change anytime soon. There isn't a, um, you know, they, they, they seem to talk about City as if we're anomalous, as if our success is somehow out of the ordinary. The reality is that this is as ordinary as Ferguson's dominance, as Liverpool's dominance in the 80s, like it is what it is, right? And they are going to, over a period of time, have to come to terms with it, and they obviously haven't yet. And, you know, my last thing on it is just that uh I just think it's a, I think some of the writing is genuinely a dereliction of duty. Yes. And yeah. I don't fully understand how editors above some of these writers aren't going, I can't publish this. This is fanzine material. Mm. You know, it's quite, it's, it's just strange. And I think the, the other strange thing is the writers themselves seem to have no awareness. As to the double standards that they hold or that they carry. It's very, it's very Trumpian and it's very Fox News in the sense that, you know, you'll have a writer tweet, um, uh, it's really bad for football. What, what Man City are you doing running away with this league? And then somebody will find a tweet from, like, 18 months ago with the same writer going, this Liverpool side are the greatest side in the entire universe ever since football was invented. And, oh, my God, I'm hard. Like, they're just, you know, they can't <laughs> contain their, their levels of excitement. And it's like, well, you know... If you're going to tweet that, then 18 months later, I'd probably be a bit careful about, like, talking down another team doing the same thing or trying to reframe excellence as something other than excellence. So, I mean, look, in the end, they're irrelevant to me. I, I, (laughs) yeah, I'll, I, uh, I walked past, uh, a group of them, uh, on the day of the Champions League final and you know, they're they're kids. Like that's the, hmm. the only way I can describe it is that like they are they're not they're not professional in the way that they that they purport to be professional. They're just not. They're basically glorified
0: fanzine writers as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well said man. Um Ali, they're clearly seeking to diminish City and Pep's achievements. Are they in any way successful in that aim? Will they be successful in that aspiration?
1: I think that kind of depends on us. So I I completely agree with what you just said and what son just said, uh, in that at the top level, what these guys are basically saying is, I don't like the way that City keep winning and I wish they wouldn't and I wish my team would win instead. And we have to understand everything through that lens. Um, They're just trying to find uh, kind of... way to, what's the word, circumlocute their way around um, not having to admit that that's actually what their opinion is. Um, In terms of the the stuff about being boring and soulless, um, I think there are at least three different arguments going on here that we should probably separate out and, and they've got different levels of, of merit or, or um, I can respect them to different extents. I think there's an argument which I completely understand and I, I hear quite often, particularly from neutral fans, and genuinely neutral fans on Twitter, um, that when you watch sport of of any kind, it doesn't matter whether it's football or or Formula One or snooker or whatever it might be, occasionally you will have a competitor that is just so good um, or appears to be so good that the competition or the the jeopardy, the, the the uncertainty of the result kind of goes out of it. You kind of you watch uh, Lewis Hamilton going to a Grand Prix, you watch you know, Steve Davis in the 1980s going into a snooker match, or you watch Manchester City in Premier League in 2021-22 going into a match and you just think they're going to win this comfortably. And, and why am I watching this? Because I know what the result is going to be. Now, that is uh, an inevitable part of sport. When when somebody gets so good, it, it becomes a product of their excellence. Uh, and there's not, we sh- should not begin to apologize for that or, or worry about it. Um, it's just one of those things that happens in sport when you get so good that you blow away the competition again and again and again. A little bit of the, the interest goes out of it as a sporting spectacle. I can completely understand that. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm not going to worry about it. There's a related argument you hear, which is kind of quite similar, but a little bit different, which is that if you watch City, the football they play on the pitch is boring and soulless and, mm. and no fun to watch. Um, and that's one that I I can kind of respect as an honestly held opinion, but I don't actually understand it, and I certainly don't agree with it. Um, but I remember, uh, going back 10 years or whatever, um, I used to love watching Guardiola's Barcelona. Um I don't have any particular... I, I, I've got no dog in the fight for the... Spanish football and I don't really have any particular preference for Barcelona over Real Madrid or Bayern Munich or anyone else but if, if a Barca game was on telly I would watch it and I would just marvel at the skill and the technical quality of Messi and Xavi and Iniesta and Busquets and you know, everyone else um, and I would very happily spend 90 minutes uh, just marveling at what what I was looking at on, on the telly in front of me um, but I would hear people saying I don't like watching Barca I find it boring all that ticca whatever you know like age of possession um it, it's not the kind of football that i want to watch and i don't get that i you know i i don't agree with it but i understand it and i respect it and okay fair enough if if the kind of football you want to see is like 100 adrenaline hoofing a big ball up to the big big lad up front and and hoping you get a lot of goals fair enough that's that that's for you that's what you want to get out of football but it's not what you will get out of a Pep guardiola team um uh, but it is what it is. And, and yeah, I, I will again, I will respect people making that argument if it's being made honestly. But then there's the one that, that really does my head in and I don't think we should give any house room to at all. And that's the argument that says, uh, cities uh, structure and the background, they're, they the wealth of their owners, the uh, yeah. power of the corp, the, the global corporation, um, the machinery behind the, uh, papuariola team on the pitch and um, is now so powerful that no other team can compete with it and the league is over before it begins um, and therefore the entire Premier League is just basically pointless because it's just a procession from beginning to end where Manchester City are always going to win. This is unmitigated bullshit. Um, we, we hear it a lot and it doesn't stand up to a moment's examination. You only need to go back to September and see these same people who were predicting that United would win the league or Chelsea would win the league or yes. Liverpool would win the league yeah. or whatever. And like, you, know, you, you can't say that you know, City are going to finish fourth in August, and then when we're 10 points clear clear in in January, suddenly turn around and say, oh, well, it was always going to happen. Um, you know, if, if we were 10 points behind, uh, the same pundits would be crowing about, uh, Pep Guardiola's, um, incompetence and, and, um, yeah. uh, inability to see that you cannot win a Premier League without centre-forward, you can't win a Premier League without a uh, specialist left back, um, all of these arguments that would have come out against Manchester City, were we not winning, are just there in the background being forgotten about. Um, the reality is uh, Manchester City are performing on course for a Premier League winning side. Um, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United and everyone else are performing on course to finish about third, fourth, fifth in the Premier League. And you can look back over the last 20 years. You can go back to, you know, 1993. Manchester United got ninety two points for something to win yeah. the, the second Premier League. Um, you know what city are doing now is not unusual it 's not unremarkable, and the idea that other Premier League teams could not possibly compete with this uh, is just such arrant nonsense, and all of that is uh, really it 's a thinly disguised um, whine that their teams aren't good enough. Um, and, and what it does is it insults and disrespects the achievement, um, and the sheer brilliance of Pep Guardiola and the team of footballers that we've got at Manchester City. Um, and, you know, I, I completely agree with Esan that I, I try on all occasions to rise above it and not let it get to me because I understand that the main objective of this is to, to, Take the sheen and the joy and the pleasure out of it for Manchester City fans. Um, and the only way that can succeed is if we allow them to do that. Um, so I, I won't allow it to get me down and I will try and laugh at it wherever I can. And I would urge every other City fan to laugh at it rather than getting angry. Um, but we should acknowledge it for what it is.
0: Well, it's a bit about it kind of undermining the achievements of Pep Guardiola and the team. I mean, for me, that, that is the kind of biggest sin of all. Um, Ace, it could be said that City have broken these people. They've broken an aspect of, of, you know, football media. Um, they have, and, and to which, you know, they're now resorting to writing, as you say, as like fanzine writing, basically. So they're
2: completely broken.
0: Does it, how annoying is it? How, how wrong is it that Pep Guardiola basically has created a team so fabulous, so incredible that it has done this without a center forward? It should be said. And is not being given plaudits for it. It's not being recognized for it. Quite the reverse. I don't need that recognition. Pep doesn't need that recognition.
2: The history books will give us the recognition Mm. that we need. The records will be the recognition. I think that one of the things that we um, should do is not lose sight of the fact that Success, like in within the context of this of competitive sport, success—it's ours. Nobody is going to share it with us. Liverpool fans, or United fans, or Chelsea fans, or they're not going to share our success with us. Yeah, I can't remember the last time that I looked at, at another a n other team that was successful and thought, "Well done, you." Yeah, yeah, it just, yeah. It's 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 not that's not the nature of what this is. So. I really I don't need that recognition I think the key point is more what you said at the top which is that you know they're broken I think you know it's really funny like genuinely 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 funny when you read some of the stuff that's written about City I mean it's just absurd it's it it's you know it's just not true it's it would not If I was an editor, a lot of those things wouldn't pass my desk because I'd go, I'm sorry, guys, this doesn't stand up to even the simplest form of scrutiny. Like Ken Early saying, uh, City is such an unhappy place that all the players want to leave. Well. (laughs) Uh, that would be all the players except for the players that have stayed for so long that we didn't sell them that our net spend is terrible, right? Because isn't that what the success, the organic success of Liverpool is built on, for example, is their net spend, players want to leave, they sell the players for big money and they can reinvest, whereas Manchester City, they don't have to sell their best players and they keep their best players. So everything, something like that doesn't stand up to scrutiny. It's so the overall sense of of the overall sense i get is that these guys don't know whether they're coming or they're going when it comes to city that they've they've tied themselves sort tied themselves up in so many knots over the last few years to try and talk city down or to diminish their success or to you know say that it's cheating they've, they've worked so hard and got themselves so worked up they've got nowhere left to go because what happens City keep winning. What happens? The owners aren't going anywhere. What happens? City continue to be a really well-run football club. And it's like the the most new criticism of Manchester City is nobody can compete because City are too well-run. Yeah. Well, if City are too well-run, that's got that's not about money per se. It's about the decisions that you make with the money. So how's that? bad like you know if if you're if if I'm if I'm a bad husband right and I look at a guy across the restaurant treating his wife really well I'm not going to go to him and go stop doing that you're making me look bad do you know what I mean I'm gonna have to raise my own level like that in in life that's how these things work and these two-time losers right are struggling with their own loserness. They're struggling with the fact that their football clubs are for-profit entities. Yeah. That are, I mean, if we talk, we're talking, obviously, we're talking specifically about Liverpool and United when I say this, but, and Arsenal to a certain extent. It's like these guys are owned by hedge fund guys, right? And in the old days, when I grew up, the way that you held your owners of your football club to account was to go, you don't take a penny out of the club everything you every penny in profit goes back into the club to invest in the team yeah and now in the modern game because they've got owners who want a profit now the conversations are all around oh well you know we're trying to run a profitable business while city are just throwing money at <laughs> something and it's like Well, if you're trying to run a profitable business, don't cry about the fact that we're not trying to do that. We're trying to be the best football team in the country. Our owners don't need to make money. Absolutely. Your owners don't need to make money. They want to make money. There's the difference. Like, it always comes back to the same thing for me.
1: Can I one, one more thing, Steve. Just on on the boring football thing. I think it's really yeah. important to say uh, that this conversation has come up at you know whatever this point in the middle of January, end of January, twenty twenty two. And of, of all the times for this conversation to come up, if you look back over the last whatever you know month or or you know, six weeks of of city games. Um, yeah, we, we had the Boxing Day game against Leicester, which is a completely insane game of football that went like four 0 then four three, and then six three. Like, I would challenge anyone to tell me that was boring. Um, we had that game against Arsenal, which had you know so many like subplots going on. Um, and whatever you think about the the game and the result and uh, what happened in the end, um, I would challenge anyone to tell me that was boring. Um, you know, we, we had a couple of you know absolute hammerings of of Leeds and uh, Newcastle, wasn't it? Eleven in two games. Now, you can say, uh, again, I would challenge anyone to say that, watching an absolute proper old fashioned hammering on the telly. Um it might be painful to watch, but it's definitely not boring. I mean, there just haven't been any boring city matches that I can think of. Even that you know that the, the one 0 Chelsea um was really tight and nervy and, and had lots of you know mm. lots of merits to it as a game of football. Um I can't remember the last time there was a boring game of football for City you know, by any objective standard if, if you if you don't actually have a, a dog in the fight. Um so it's just it, it, it is such bullshit. And and I, again, we're, I'm here feeling my uh, own blood pressure and temperature rising, <laughs> while I'm te- telling everyone not to get riled by it. And, uh, and yeah, it, we should identify what it is, which is a big, big, big bucket of shit. Yeah, well, quite. I mean, I, I interviewed
0: um, a Daily Telegraph uh, journalist yesterday, a very knowledgeable guy. Very, you know, uh, got a lot of time for him. And I was asking about Mo Salah and whether you know, Liverpool should kind of break their kind of. Um, you know, wage structure to, to, to keep him. Uh, and, and it directly fell into what you were, you were talking about, Asan, where you said about kind of they're, they're, they're for profit, you know, because he said FSG can easily afford Mo Salah and, and pay him what he wants. And the Liverpool fans will be absolutely delighted with that and everyone will be happy, but they won't, then unwilling to do so. Which, by the way, is fine if that's what they want to do. But if that's the way they want to go... Don't be moaning if kind of, you know, Mo Salah leaves and then City in two, three years' time are even further ahead of him in the whole big, uh, big picture because, you know, you, you've not kept your best player. Uh, mm. Furthermore, they've allowed Mo Salah to go into the final year of his contract. So I completely agree with everything you're both saying. Um, maybe unsurprisingly, but <laughs> still, uh, I think there's some excellent points made all around. And it's just, it comes down to what you've been saying, Ali. It's. Just a big bucket of shit. It's just <laughs> bullshit, the whole thing. Um mm-hmm. is there any, anything else you'd like to add?
2: No, I mean, you know, um I'm I think I'm I've been fairly consistent over the last twelve months that I'm I'm almost completely unbothered by most of it. You know. i just yeah. uh, I find these I find I find most of these fellas to be relatively amusing in their uh in their kind of it's it the, I think that they secretly they want to rile city fans and they want the attention of city fans yes that and is definitely the so, agenda of some you know yeah. i think the, the the best thing that you can do is starve them of the attention yeah. that they crave i can't remember the last time because you know, you, we—I well, think we all went through this this period where we we'd we retweet negative articles yeah. about city, yeah. Yeah. and I can't remember the last time that I did anything like that, or I even engaged with one of the maybe maybe yeah. Like I just I don't. For me, it's not it's not interesting. Like I'm 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 going to sound really arrogant now, but I don't care. I am intellectually superior to most <laughs> of these. I did not have the the time. The space, I'm, lads, I'm too successful. I'm genuinely, <laughs> genuinely not interested in talking to some glorified blogger, right, about my football club. I don't need to do it. It's, it's not, you uh, know,
1: I mean, mean, your thing. What you, are, it? you are the Manchester City of uh, football punditry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're in late January. That's not, that's, that's not going to be topped. That's a 2022 winner right now, <laughs> That's a highlight of the year for me. That no, is
1: no, no one can compete with that. <laughs> uh,
2: magnificent. <laughs> my tongue my, my tongue was in my cheek. I mean, I was, I'm kind
0: of kidding. But you know what? You but you're know, also right. You're also yeah, right. Yeah, because absolutely there right. are people like... I responded to Ken Early. Because Ken Early, I think, is a fabulous journalist. He's a brilliant writer. No, no he's not. Sorry, no,
2: sorry. I'm no. right there.
0: How can you say... <laughs> hold on, hold
2: on, hold on. Let's come have on. this conversation. Yeah, right? come on. So, when you look up journalism... Yeah. In the dictionary, right? And then you look at Ken Early's writing about Manchester City, with all due respect, a fabulous journalist would Fabulous never writer. Prefer. Writer I said. Oh, fiction writer. <laughs>
0: No, it. because, I mean, he, he could be a fabulous journalist. On that instance, he was sort an horrendous journalist, of course, because nothing stood up. As you say, the slightest scrutiny, it all fell apart. But as regards to writing, his turn of phrase, the way he structures the sentences and all the rest of it, I think he's a fabulous writer. So I, I, I will engage in people like Ken Early, but some of the others are dog shit. Some of the others are just rent-a-quotes who are clearly have an agenda
1: to Ryle City fans in order to boost their own profile. So can I can I just come in on one thing here, and and it's a, a fact about the media, whether you're talking to football media or politics media or music media or whatever else. Uh, the job of the modern journalist is not to uh, convey information. Yeah, and tell people things that they didn't know before. The job is to generate clicks and and sales. Um, and the most effective way for a journalist, and I put that in quote marks if you prefer, uh, to to generate clicks and sales is by telling people what the majority of their readers want to hear. And there is a huge market for uh, amongst Liverpool fans, United fans, uh, Arsenal fans, and all the other clubs all over the world uh, for city hate pieces. Yeah, um, if you if you. Click something saying City do not if, if you write something saying City do not deserve their success, that they have cheated their way to this uh excellence, and that um basically all the other teams have been done uh done an injustice and, and it's just not fair, then you will get millions of clicks, and that's why they do it. It's not actually to Royal city fans, they don't care about city fans, there are actually you know there aren't enough of us uh, compared to all the other football fans in the world, and that's what's actually driving this. Um and uh we can complain about it, but it is a bit like complaining about the weather. It's just, uh, you know, it, it's what it is now, um, and that's why it happens. So uh, it doesn't make it any better, and it doesn't ex- it doesn't make these people any uh, ethically or morally uh, any any less uh, questionable. Um, but that is why it happens.
0: Completely agree. Completely agree. And um, yeah, I I go back to the point you made earlier, A-Zan, as well about the editors. The editors must take a large load of blame for these nonsensical articles that are out there for for agreeing to be pitched. I mean, I could think of maybe eight journalists out in the country, football writers, who don't have to pitch ideas. There'll be a lot of football writers out there who people will think won't have to do that, but they do. They have to Mm. pitch to their editor. People like Ken Early, for example, will have to pitch their editor and say, I want to write about this this week. And the editor will simply say, give a go ahead or say no. And for them to say yes to these articles when they're being written time and time again, and there's no substance to them, ah, it's 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 clearly just all bullshit. Okay, let's move on.
2: Um, they can't cry about they can't cry about journalism being a dying industry. When no, made, exactly. That's well, uh, here, here. That, that yeah. Yeah. Mine. And I think that you know there is a there is a my, my, the last thing I want to say very quickly is that there is a serious point, and the serious point is that uh, it, never more so than now we need good journalism strong journalism where the world is where britain is as a country we need excellent journalism yeah. Yeah. because that's our access to pr- to the the those places where decisions are made where the privilege exists right the journalists are ac- our access to that they they are the people who can tell us what is happening around us And what is happening around us in general is scary. So we need good and strong journalism. And for these lads who will all consider themselves to be lefty socialists, right, to basically write propaganda for their football clubs in the
0: mainstream media is just utterly bizarre. Yeah, sports I, I, washing, mate. Sports. <laughs> washing. <laughs> I, yeah, there was something on Twitter yesterday. You know this new story about the kind of intimidation by the the Tory whips on the Tory ministers, and there was I think he was for ITN, but I don't want to commit to that. It was it was a journalist anyway who tweeted. Um, I happen to know that this is all true because um, I, I was told this eighteen months ago, and you know I had all the facts eighteen months ago. Well, what the. F- what was he doing then? If, he, if he's a journalist of any credence, not affiliated to any party, and he had that information, release it. Write an yeah. article about it. it it's yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: uh, I'm sorry. Can, I, I, I know we try to move on and actually talk about football. Uh, but I, just, <laughs> I just I have to say. Um, I, it's absolutely right that more than ever we need good journalism, yeah. excellent journalism to because the state the world is in. Um, it's also the other way around. The, the reason the world is in, the state is in a very large part because of an, a lack of excellent journalism and a certain yeah. of absolutely terrible clickbait journalism. Um, and I'm not really talking about football there, but it does apply to football as well.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's move on to Southampton, the Manchester City uh, Saturday 5.30 kickoff. Um the Saints are thoroughly unpredictable at present, failing to keep a clean sheet in the last ten games. But they thumped Brentford. They they, they won out in a five goal thriller at West Ham. Um, I'll start with you, Asam, but kind of both of you for this. Really, just kind of. I, I personally have seen maybe two Southampton games all season. Um, are, are you much the same, or have you kind of? Are you aware of what's going on with them?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of the same. I, I, I think that I imagine that. Uh, uh, Mr. who also struggles to know if <laughs> Southampton uh, will yeah, turn sure. up when the uh, when the whistle goes. No, I mean I think that it's the it, it's one of the it's one of the trickier ties to predict in terms of City and a, a what you would call a mid-table or or a bottom half of the table team because I think that they do as they showed uh, they they can pose City a problem. They can absolutely pose City a problem. Um, I think that one of the good things from our point of view, and I, I think that it's something that Guardiola, I, I think it's probably perhaps one of his biggest strengths, is that people complain about City being boring. And one of the reasons that City are boring is because they're actually not unpredictable because Guardiola has them... Um, from a from a mental point of view they approach every game exactly the same or or 99% of the games that they play there's always a couple of games a season where the level is a bit low i think you look at palace for example earlier the season it felt like the level was a bit low you look at arsenal right and you go that was the level was a little bit low on that particular day but in general over the 93 minutes that we play everybody runs for those 93 minutes everybody plays at a level and so what that does is it ensures that we have very, we have less slip ups than some of the uh, some of our rivals will have because our mentality is always on point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, so, in that in mind, kind of, how do you see it going in with Southampton? Well, I mean, uh, look, you, you stopped very have... abruptly there. By the way, you <laughs> threw me. Out. I was Sorry. listening and I was enjoying it. I and mean it stopped, I was like, "Oh right."
2: <laughs> now, well, look, I, how's it going to go tomorrow? I've, I've got no idea because if we play like we did against Chelsea, I expect us to win. Mm. Um, but it's it's still a, a, a tricky tie. Uh, every I you, you got to respect every opponent that you come up against yeah, in the yeah. Premier League. Yeah. With, maybe with the exception of Burnley, sod them, <laughs> get them out of it. Um, but other than Burnley, like you should respect everybody that you play in the league, and so. For me, I don't have the the. I don't go into games going it's a gimme. I don't think anything's a gimme. Uh, how do I think it will go? I think we're in a really good place. I think in terms of the mentality of the squad. I think if you look at if you take Sterling as an example of the, I think Sterling is a good microcosm of the arc of the season where. kind of when we started, there was a little bit of a sense that we look undercooked, we're not ready, what's gonna happen this season, Chelsea are gonna walk away with the title, Liverpool are favourites, all that sort of business. And if you look at the arc of the season, it's been a bit like Sterling's arc that in the last six weeks we've gone, no, we're better than you. We're better than everybody and we're gonna show it week in and week out. Um so I expect a difficult tie, but I expect us to win that tie. And can I also say um I said about a month ago, <clears throat> that if we'd won every game between that point mm. and Southampton, we'd win the league. So for me, tomorrow, we beat Southampton tomorrow at that
0: point. I know that loads of people are like, well, the league has won. If we win tomorrow, I think the league has won then. I, I'm completely with you on that. And. I feel a bit uneasy with it being Southampton. Um, there was that 0 0 across at the Etihad back in September, but also down on the South Coast, we had that awful game. And I know I'm going back a good few years now, but that awful loss um, was it 3 1? Wasn't it? 3 2? Um, we've won 1 0s, we've lost a couple of 1 0s. We always tend to struggle or at least find it very difficult against Southampton. Um, Ali, are there certain teams that we kind of typically struggle against, or is that just kind of almost superstition on on a fan's behalf.
1: I think it probably is more of the latter than the former. Um, You you kind of, you you look, it's the the way the human brain works is to look for patterns and everything. Yeah. Uh, And and that includes football results. Um, I I, I don't know about any kind of, you know, bogey team or or whether there's something unique about Southampton that um, produces... Yeah, more unpredictable results. Um, but I really like Southampton as a club. Um, the, the, there's a lot to like about them and the way they run things, the way they operate. Um, and very little to dislike about any of the people involved. Um, I think over the years, Southampton have tended to produce one or two exceptional players who have exceptional seasons, uh, and then get bought usually by Liverpool. Um, and their most successful seasons have tended to, to, uh, be built around, like, one outstanding performance. I'm not sure they've got that this year. Um, Ward Price is a phenomenal player, particularly mm. with a dead ball at his feet. And, and, uh, when we come to predict scores, I think I, I don't think I would ever produce a, I, I don't think I would ever predict a clean sheet against Southampton because, um, you can almost always back. <laughs> a good chance Ward Price is going to hit in a free kick from somewhere. Um, So there, there's a lot to like about them, but they're, they're just not quite sparking this year. Um, I remember, I I remember seeing their, their, Great big Balkan striker, Broja. I think it, it's a yes. RJ, I believe. We, yeah. It's it, rings with Roger, not Bruja. Um, but he, he looks a, a bit like a Negredo or something. He looks like a really intimidating center forward. Um, and can keep showing sparks so like, so this guy's going to explode any day now. Um, he hasn't quite done it yet, but I, I worry about him. Um, and then they've got lots of, Really capable players all over the pitch and, and, you know, uh, Shea Adams I really like and, and, you know, they're, they're a good little side. But that said, um, I think the, the really key thing at the moment is that City have had such, uh, um, not an easy run, but, uh, a lot of time for rest and recovery over the last few weeks. Um, we haven't, uh, so often we're going into games against Southampton having played five games in two weeks or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And the fact that we should be more or less fully arrested. To the best of my knowledge, almost everyone is back to full health and fitness. Um, I don't know if anyone's got any lingering post COVID, uh, fitness problems or, or whatever. I don't think any of us know that. Um, but I think so long as City are in a good place themselves, uh, Southampton shouldn't have enough to, to cause us too many problems. And, and mm, I think if
2: you go all the way back to, to Pochettino, I think that Southampton have played football in a certain way, which I think sometimes can be a bit tricky for City because they actually try, they want to try and press yeah. high, and you know they want to try and beat you. Uh, and I think maybe a little bit we've we've found that a little bit tricky in the past. I think it's telling that like I mean, I've got a real soft spot for Southampton. I've been playing with them on football manager for many, <laughs> many, many years now, right? I know that squad inside <laughs> I, I really do. Like I'm I'm like yeah, my brother said to me in the past, really Southampton again. And also I think it might part of it might just be because I'm a bit obsessed with James Ward Prowse. I just if there's one player From a rival that I think could play for City. And I'd love him at City. Ward Prowse is that lad. I think he's
0: amazing. I really do. Massively, massively underrated. Um, Yeah. Because he plays for Southampton, I think. Anyway, if you play yeah. for anyone in the, in the top kind of eight, uh, he'd be regarded much higher, and, and it's just not fair, that. Um, you know what? I but, want to say something, right? It's England-related. So, basically, uh, I can't remember what I
2: was listening to, but I was, I was listening to something recently, um, and I was nodding nodding my head vigorously because they were talking about Declan Rice, right? And they were basically saying that, like, Declan Rice is is beginning to be an up-and-down-the-pitch midfielder, right? And what's going to end up happening is somebody in the England setup is going to go, well, he can't be the number six because he can get up and down the pitch, right? So you're going to play him further forward. And contrast that with somebody like James Ward-Prowse, who isn't dynamic in the way that, you know, somebody like Bellingham is or, or somebody like Rice is. And actually, for me, what England's midfield cries out for is James Ward-Prowse mm. is is a is a playmaker? Is a player who can put his foot on the ball? Is a player who's more about his intelligence than he is about his his athleticism or his physicality? He's just you know I'd be he's a guy who who I'd have in the middle of England's midfield and I'd build around him because you have so much attacking talent. At your disposal, what you've got to learn how to do is control football games, and you can't control football games if you make them basketball games. I think if yeah. you, you need somebody like Ward Prowse in your in your England
0: setup. Instead of going for kind of Calvin Phillips, who I really rate, but I rate him in that lead system and the way that leads play, and that's you know obviously not the way that England play. So I'm completely with you on that. I, I'll go for Ward Prowse. I go for um, Declan Rice in the middle with Bellingham as well. I mean Bellingham's going to be a superstar and I hope to God that Liverpool don't get Bellingham in the next exactly. 18 months. I really do. not um, okay, let's go I don't back. think they kind of I don't I don't yeah, I don't I don't I think that even their
2: even their sensible supporters um, have said a lot recently our owners are never going to pay what yeah. Dortmund will want for, for Bellingham. And I would, I would agree with that. I expect that Dortmund are looking at Bellingham and going, you're going to break a transfer record. You're that good. One of the English giants is going to come and go, we'll give you a hundred, 150 for him. That yeah. type of, it's going to end up being that type of fee. And I had a little look the other day. He's on a ridiculously long contract. Like I think it's like 2026 or something
0: wow. like that. So you ain't getting him on the cheap anytime soon. Yeah. Um, okay, bring it back to Southampton and the city team. Um, Zinchenko's out, Palmer's out, and that's it as far as I can tell. Um, Ake trained uh, yesterday. Marez is currently on his way back from Afcon. Um, Ali, would you be happy to see Marez in the start lineup, or do you think that's just not realistic? It's... Yeah, I, I,
1: there's no need for it. There's absolutely no need for yeah. it. and and uh, yeah, a long long haul flight and everything else and. Just getting his head back in the right place. I think would take a week or so. Yeah. So uh, th- there's absolutely no point in taking a, a chance with that when we've got so many other options. We've got uh, Sterling like, absolutely on fire down the right the other week. Um, so no, like, let's give let's give Marais a few days to get over his disappointments and all the rest of it. Um, and then beyond that, it's, uh, we've got a, a, a full a full deck of cards yeah. to choose from. Yeah. Um, and I, I really don't know what uh, how Pep will go. I don't really see any reason not to pick an um, almost identical team to last week, with the obvious exception of Diaz coming back in, maybe. Uh, and who knows, maybe we will actually have an, an almost unchanged City uh, City pick. Well, yeah,
0: I mean, because we've got the, the Premier League break after that as well. You've yeah. got to expect Pep to go strong here. I mean, Asan, what would involve Pep going strong, do you think?
2: Um, Well, firstly, I I, kind of take a little bit of issue with what Ali said. I think it would be um, very... uh, I don't think it'd be very cool if Guardiola took Stones out of the team and put Diaz back into the team after Stones performed at the level that he performed at last weekend against Chelsea. I think that, you know, Pep's always made a point of the lad in possession of the shirt. It's his shirt to lose. And I yeah. think that you've given Stones possession last weekend, and the level that he's played at be really, really harsh to take him I, out.
1: I would have no argument with that. If, if that's what's happened, then yeah, I'd, I'd let, let's go with it. Yeah, no, no problem. I think Jeff Diaz is so huge yeah. player for us. You know what, what happens when Stones performs well again against Southampton, and the you know, when when does Riben get back in the team? That's kind of well. I think you know, I I, I
2: actually think that that's part of what makes this city squad Mm -hmm. so strong that it's not about the number of players that we have it's about the the quality and the fact that everybody's fighting for a shirt and because they're fighting for a shirt you can lose your place and i think that somebody like diaz who has played as much as he's played in the last well since he arrived at city yeah and it might be his turn to sit on the bench for two or three weeks. And I I don't really have a problem with that. If
1: I'm honest, you make a very good case here, and I would have absolutely no worries whatsoever if Pep agrees with you.
2: Yeah. And I think that's the, the other thing is that I think that, you know, I look at, I look at Southampton who will try and press a little bit higher like they did uh, earlier in the season. And that's, From what I understand, that's the the decision to play Stones last weekend is because it's like I want better distribution from the back because they are going to press a little bit higher. So, you know, from a footballing perspective, uh, Stones should, in theory, start again tomorrow. And also, I liked the other player who I'm kind of looking at and I'm going, he's got to start again as Grealish because I liked his performance. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. after that, after that, after the early miss, which I think his head could have dropped. I think a lot of other players maybe would have gone missing after a miss like that. He tried even more to get involved in the game, and I think that it's a moment where you want to build a little bit of momentum for him as well. So I'd be, I'd be playing him again as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I personally, I'd pick the same the same team as, as, uh, as last weekend, because I think they performed at a super high level. Uh, they obviously got the win and they deserve to play again.
0: Okay. Well, with that in mind, score prediction from yourself, Asa. Um, 2-1 City. Okay. Ali?
1: Yeah, I'll give word versus goal cool and I'll go 3-1
0: City. <laughs> I'm going 3-1 City as well. <laughs> um, just to wrap things up today, I just want to very quickly touch on Chelsea Spurs. Um, I'm just fascinated by Chelsea right now. Um I don't know quite what's happened to them. First 12 games of the season, Chelsea conceded only four times. In the last 12, they've conceded 14 times. Um So let's kind of start with that. Ali, are Chelsea struggling? Are they... Is this their natural level now that they're at? Were they overachieving prior to this? Or how have you kind of... Judge death season as a whole.
1: They are massively underachieving. There's no doubt about that. Right? Um, why? I'm not entirely sure. Um, I've got okay. Yeah, I've got a theory, and I'm quite happy for others to uh, to tell me I'm talking shit, which I probably am. <laughs> um, but uh, there were uh, two really big. Uh, Centre forward signings made in Premier League at the beginning of the season: uh, Ronaldo back to United and Lukaku to Chelsea. Um, in both cases, there were concerns about uh, kind of disrupting the the natural balance of the team mm. and the the style of play and all the rest of it. Um, in United's case, I think uh, they've been absolutely appallingly disrupted, and, and most of their team. At least, you know, at least until very, very recently, most of them didn't really seem to know what kind of football they were playing or what they were meant to be doing. Um, and Ronaldo was kind of their saving grace because even though he was the, uh, <laughs> I remember what Homer Simpson said about beer is the yes. cause of and the solution to all life's problems. <laughs> yes, but R- Ronaldo was the cause of and the solution to all of life's <laughs> problems. I guess. And I wonder if something similar has been going on at Chelsea, except Lukaku hasn't been producing the the form to be the solution as well as the problem. You know, so, so he's the cause of the problem, but not coming up with a solution at the same time. Um, and I wonder how much of that uh, it has been going on. If they had just kept the team that had uh, won the Champions League final uh, or the squad that got to the Champions League final and built on that in a kind of organic way, uh, would they be a much better side the season, um, they looked to be coming together at the end of last season. You know, they, they, I mean, Tuchel obviously arrived and and hit the ground running. Um, and they kind of, they, I was very, very scared of them at the start of the season. I, Mm. I, I had no doubt they were going to be our, our, you know, most serious challengers to, to winning the title. Uh, and it just hasn't happened. And even when you talk about, you know, the first however many games of the season when they only conceded four goals or whatever, they were never playing that well. They were, they were stealing 1-0 victories all over the place. And it looked a bit like they were, um, looked a bit like they were struggling for any kind of consistent form. And I wasn't overly surprised when the form turned against them. I have been really surprised that, that Tuchel not found a way of, of bringing it back and finding form, uh, mm. where, you know, <laughs> I mean, even uh, stuff as as simple and obvious as the lineup they put out against City. When I looked at that forward line, um, I just thought we're we're going to win this and we're going to win this comfortably. They're not going to score goals when when you got Timo Werner and Kai Havertz, Haver- whoever else sitting on the bench um, and playing. Pulisic and VH, uh, I I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, I really, yeah. I do yeah. not know what's going on there. I will say that um, when you compare that to what's happening at Tottenham, um, when you saw I I thought there was a kind of oh, oh before I pass on to a there, there was something really significant I thought happened at the end of the uh, Spurs game the other night which was we were talking about boring games for football earlier you know as a fair play that was an absolutely cracking match happened <laughs> the other night and um, when Spurs got an equalizer in the 95th minute of with 5 minutes injury time to be played they they scored an equalizer in the 95th minute and uh Bergwijn went chasing into the net to wrestle the ball back from Casper Schmeichel to get back and restart the kickoff with like 20 seconds to go. Mm. And I laughed at him. I was like, mate, who are you kidding? You've just got an equalizer, go away and celebrate it. But no, he wanted that ball back because he wanted to win that game. And sure enough, 10 seconds later, uh, Tielemans played a stupid ball straight to a, a, a Spurs player and they won the match with the final kick of the game. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm coughing now. Well, uh, that this- would not have happened. Uh, to Spurs a couple of months ago, and I'm absolutely convinced that would not happen with Chelsea now. Um, it's that that sheer desire and will to win that Conte's Spurs are now showing, and Chelsea have got none of it.
0: Well, Ali, you've set me up perfectly, because my kind of closing question to Asan it actually involved exactly that, and, and the mentality at Chelsea, which has surprised me. Tuchel, after the um, Brentford draw, said his players are tired, And he said that the fans and Brentford team celebrated a draw, distastefully kind of, you know, looking upon their celebrations as some kind of, well, I don't quite know what. look down upon them. Uh, You would never hear such pathetic excuses from Pep Guardiola. Uh, Indeed, there's a video out there, isn't it, on the Amazon um, documentary where he's saying to the players, tired, tired, fuck you. That says it all for me about Pep Guardiola. Asan, does it come down to mentality between Tuchel and Pep? Yeah, but in, not just in that, not just in,
2: in, in, in the way that you've characterized it there. I think it comes down to tactical mentality as well. I'm, Mm. I'm going to, regular listeners are going to go, Aeson's going to say the same thing that he always says. I said at the end of last season after they beat us in the Champions League final, um, won't win the league playing with, uh, Three at the back and two wing backs. I said at the start of this season, after they signed Lukaku, and everybody was like, "They're gonna, they're, they're the favourites, their title to lose." I was like, "What are you on about? Like they, you cannot with Klopp and Guardiola in the league, you won't win the league playing with three at the back and two wing backs and two holding midfielders. You're just not going to create enough." And I think that Tuchel is rapidly finding out that the Premier League, he can't bend it to his will. Maybe in the way that for Paris Saint Germain. When he was there, he could play three at the back, play with two wing backs, and it doesn't matter who they played, they'd win because they had Neymar and Mbappe. But here in this league, loads of teams will go, you ain't breaking us down. You've got to find, find more solutions. Mm. And he's just, he's not found the tactical solutions. And I think, you know, I think he should be careful about his job because I think that Chelsea are a club where if I was, Honestly, if I was running Chelsea, I'd sit him down and I'd go, You know what? This three at the back thing, you're gonna to have to change it this summer if you want to keep your job. If you want if you if Tuchel said to me, No, I'm gonna play three at the back next season as well, I'd be going, you know what, we're gonna find another coach.
0: Right. Okay.
1: I I can I can I be I give you a fairly crude and blunt prediction. Yeah. Um, I think Tuchel's got about two defeats in him, still to keep his job. Uh, I think if he has another couple of Another
0: couple of bad results, he could be out before Easter. You're, you're both both of you are surprised me. I'm not disagreeing with you, but it surprised me actually. It's um, yeah. Let, well, let's wait and see then. Let's wait and see. Uh, I, I just think I regard him too highly, you know. Because when I speak to, I respect both of you immensely in your thoughts and your opinions. And there's others such as Howard. And when I talk to you guys, you don't see him like I do, and I think I'm in the wrong. <laughs> I think I (laughs) genuinely I I think I've I've regarded him too highly maybe in in recent seasons and Yeah. Okay, well
1: that's that's uh, I can can say I I think what Tuchel did in his first season was absolutely astonishing and his achievement in taking Chelsea to the Champions League final and then beating us was massive and I've absolute total Respect for that. Uh, my my uh, observation about him being on, on very very thin ice is much more to do with Abramovich than yes, then. of course. He de- yeah. you know, absolutely deserves to keep his job and should be in his job for a lot longer. Uh, but if he has not a couple of results, then Roman Abramovich will if him. Okay. Heat him into the sun, as they say on Twitter. <laughs>
2: no, I don't. I, actually, I don't agree with that. The yeah. idea that yeah. he should be he should keep his job? No,
1: because I I would have been been kind.
2: (laughs) With the resources that he's got at his disposal, um, I think that he's now underperforming. I think that last season, he could do everything that he did on the basis that he came in mid season and that he needed to take stock and have a good summer window, and then he could implement his own ideas. The problem is Chelsea don't look any different to what they were uh, in the Champions League final. If anything, they look a worse team than yeah. the team that was in the Champions League final. And people will talk about injuries, but the injuries are to his two wingbacks. Those are the key injuries. And there therein lies the issue for me. When you have a squad with Lukaku, Mount, Havertz, Pulisic, Hudson Adoy, Jorginho, I mean Team Timo Werner, they have a plethora of attacking talent there, right? And if you're sat there going, well, you know what, I've not got Ben Chilwell, I can't win games, it's just like, no, like that's not you can't make that you can't make that excuse. And if your system is so So reliant on fullbacks, then it maybe ain't the right system. You see what I'm driving at? Like, there's Mm -hmm. the. I understand the fact that managers need time and all that sort of stuff, and I really rate Tuchel. I think he is a really good coach, but he seems to have. He seems a little bit. I'd love to know what you two think. He strikes me as a guy who knows that he's not going to be at Chelsea for long. Right. And he strikes me as a guy who's kind of going, you know what? They'll do it like this. We'll we'll see. You know what I mean? (laughs) It doesn't, it doesn't, he doesn't, there's no moment where I feel that he feels a lot of pressure, if that makes sense. He just kind of strikes me as a guy who goes, you know what? Eventually, I'm going to get sacked. I'm going to get paid off and I'm going to get a job in the Bundesliga. It's cool. Yeah. (laughs) And he's, and he, and the thing is, he arrived last season and he's won the European Cup. So it's like, in a way, he's probably looking at it and going, project complete.
0: I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. Not
2: beating, I'm, I'm not beating Guardiola in be the it. European Cup. Yeah. See you later. So I don't know. Like it's a
0: it's definitely a, it's definitely a weird one, we're too sure. Okay, lads. Um interesting. Okay, let's wrap it up then. Uh thanks very much for joining me today, Sam. Can
2: I just say before we go, um, for those listening, next Tuesday we are doing a 12-hour um live stream podcast in aid of the Manchester Food Banks. We've got an exclusive with Johnny Marr. I think Nedum's going to be joining us. Sam and Jack will join us at some point to talk about transfers. Loads of other guests. Steve's going to be on it. I'm going to be on it. Howard's going to be on it. Blue Moon podcast are on it. Main Road Rambler are on it. Noisy Neighbours are on it. City Extra are involved. City Reporter are involved. The City Support community in general are involved. Get involved. It's for a great cause.
0: And hopefully a, a good interview as well from myself uh, over the weekend, but I'm Cross my fingers on that, I'll find out on Sunday, and that'll be with a surprise guest. Uh, Ali, you've uh, also offered to come on it.
1: I'm I'm at your disposal, and I'm hoping, uh, I'm, I'm hoping you can. Out, between all these superstars, you can find a minute and <laughs> get a word in edgewise. You're a Definitely. superstar, <laughs>
0: Well, thank you very much, Aysan. Appreciate you coming Absolute on. Absolute pleasure, everyone. mate. Thanks, Ali.
1: Loved it as ever. Thanks, Steve.
0: That's a wrap for today, folks. We're off to check the hard drives of any grown-ups who have done the Ronaldo celebration in public. In In the meantime, take care of yourselves, be well, and forever up the Magnificent Blues.